Hi, and welcome to episode 218 of No Crying in Baseball, the Fireball Cure episode. My name is Patty, and I'm here with my friend Potty Mouth. Hello, Potty Mouth. Hey there. I am very intrigued by a fireball cure here. My my pronunciation is already going down the shithole because I am drinking a smoky jalapeno margarita that was canned and already and I'm like showing you like I like like the the viewers can viewers you guys aren't viewing you're listening you can't see the whole problem is you can't see this can that I'm holding up to Patty that says smoky jalapeno margarita and it is from 10th Ward Distilling Company highly recommended they're out of Frederick Maryland and it's a women-owned business and I support them I love their stuff. Hooray yeah. for that. So my fireball cure. Okay. So I got my booster shot on Thursday and I'm really happy about that. And Yay. just like when I got my second shot, 24 hours later, I got wiped the hell out Oof. and then I got a little better and then I got wiped out again and it's been going up and down and I'm fine with that because the alternative sucks and I'll be fine yep. tomorrow. It's just yeah. a little cranky. I'll be a little cranky in the meantime, but this also means that in my in my snowman cup which I'm now showing you dear listeners. <laughs> I, it, it says is, joy on the side, so it's a happy that's snowman right. cup. It's a, yeah. and it's happy on the inside too cuz it's a hot toddy made with fireballs. So that way it's a oh. seasonal hot toddy. So it's cinnamony, delicious and it's medicinal. It's warming you from the inside. It sure is and we'll see just how warm I get. All right. All right. On today's show, we've got the latest on the lockout and all the news around the edges of the lockout. We've got cover-up cross-training in the police blotter. We've got boyfriends on the Twins and the Nationals. We've got women in baseball news in Mexico and Japan and in your nation's capital, in addition to all kinds of other international baseball. And we also have COVID cross-training because here we go again, folks. This theme, it just keeps coming back. We can't we can't get rid of it, but we will at least keep you abreast of the situation. But before we go into too many details, I just want to give a little shout out to a former boyfriend who I had picked on the Orioles last year, Rio Ruiz, who ended up with the Rockies and just had an adorable new baby. So go check out his Instagram because it's got a picture of his daughter who must be three or so holding the little one. And it's really sweet. Oh. And yeah, yeah, we're all, always good about the adorable things, right? And uh, while you're on Instagram, I just wanted to suggest that last week I chose Adelise Garcia with the Texas Rangers, and I had not checked his Instagram before choosing him. Honest to God, it's worth looking at because he's not holding babies, but he's holding big heavy weights with big arms that are, yep, look, look like they've been working a lot. So I suggest checking out Adelise Garcia's Instagram. Yep, that's the potty mouth recommendation of the day. So it'll just make you feel good. And it's nice to feel good. <laughs> right. I mean, mm-hmm. come on. What the heck? Yeah. Yeah. Babies right. and biceps. You can get everything on Instagram. Babies and biceps. One stop <laughs> shopping on the Instagram. Right. Yay. Yay. All right. So we're still in this godforsaken lockout land. Um, there mm. are more than 30 subjects that the union and the league are dealing with in collective bargaining. And the various parties met on Thursday to talk about the non-economic issues where they could actually, but they're already, they start out closer together where they can probably make some headway, like Uh the drug policy and the domestic violence policy and grievances and scheduling and things like that, that aren't the big picture, scary things like the free agency and compensation and the no tanking stuff and all that. And they are putting up, they're calling those the core economic issues. And they're waiting for January to talk about those. I guess they didn't want to 
ruin their end of the year winter holiday season by talking about, you know, the big stuff. Um, one thing, that, one article that I read suggested that maybe they're just saving it when they know they'll be more motivated because they'll be running out of time before pitchers and catchers report. Because That's otherwise, terrifying. They'll, they'll just be saying the same things to each other. If yeah. They don't, you know. Um, one of the things, as we mentioned last week, that you can do during the lockout is sign minor league contracts. And speaking of people that were briefly Orioles, Michael Franco, who was for a while a Philly and then very recently an Oriole, was just signed by the Nationals to a minor league contract, really? which has immediately upped the QHAR on the Nationals. Yes, he has great hair. Like when when we're at the the O's game at the end of the season, I was mightily commenting on his hair. Sure that's, enough, that's great that that hair stays in town. That's right. We want to keep that hair. Oh my god, we have so many Orioles things to talk about because the other thing that can happen during the lockout is management and front office and coaching staffs can be um, can be worked on. There can be you know new hires and all of that. Buck Showalter, sixty five year old, three time American League Manager of the Year is going to manage the Mets. You know, he got manager of the year every 10 years, three times. That's hysterical. 2004, 2014. So wow. he's, you know, older than dirt in baseball years, for sure. Yeah. The last time he managed was with the Orioles in 2018. He is, is One of his claims to fame is that he managed the Yankees and got fired the year before they won a World Series and managed the D-backs and got fired the year before <laughs> they won the World Series. So maybe the Mets are thinking, we only need him for a year or two, right. and then we could win the World Series without him. I don't know. That's hysterical. I saw one post on Twitter that said this is like a Tony Larusa move without the DUI. Yeah. So <laughs> like Walter, that style. Yeah. Yeah, well, kind of. I mean, Yes. All the things that I read, they all used words like steady the ship, yeah. tone of accountability, attention to detail, firm hand, discipline. They they want somebody who's going to take you no, know, it was not, not going to suffer fools, right? Yep. He's going to get it done. And some people even pointed out that the whole raccoon situation <laughs> of last year and the thumbs down stuff the players were doing back to the fans would not have happened if Buck was the manager, because either he would have seen it coming and nipped it in the bud, or he would have clamped down on it so hard when it first happened that it would have been gone. Which I don't particularly, that's not my style. Like I, that's, this is not like a happy manager style that, that I enjoy watching really. Like, and there was something that I saw that basically said, he doesn't care if you like him. He doesn't care. He doesn't, he's not there to be players friends. He's there well, to. He's not, but yeah. a lot of the players that, from the outside, you would think would pretty much hate him because of the yeah. stuff, really respect him. They've got nothing but good stuff. It, people that he has called on the carpet. Interesting. Have said, no, he's good he, because you know why he's doing it. He's do and he doesn't single you out. He does it like, you okay. know, it's for the good of the team. So much as I am kind of tired of, you know, here we are pulling these old white guys out of retirement. Right. They've got perfectly great, you know, careers on ESPN or wherever they're, whatever their broadcasting mm -hmm. network of choices or whatever it is they're doing. The Mets are in deep doo-doo. So anything yeah. they can do, I think, to get a sense of responsibility. I mean, I, I really feel torn about this whole thing. It's like, oh, here we go again. But maybe the Mets is the right thing for this. For instance, a fun fact yeah. on the Mets, you know, the other things that are happening in the Mets right now is Zach Scott, the former Mets executive who had like the DWI because he fell asleep behind the wheel of his car at a stoplight, right? This is ah. in, in the middle of all that crap. The verdict on that trial has been postponed to January because COVID. All right. So 
shiny thing gets kicked down the line for the Mets. Yeah. yeah. So I think there really are anything they can do to just have like some semblance of respectability. That's what they're doing. And, you know. I, yeah. Mm. I just feel like they should have tried the Carlos Beltran thing because, you know, right. Cora, Cora came back to Boston yep. and did really well. And Beltran is the only guy who like, why is he the only one whose career got completely ruined? That just doesn't. Why do we right. think? Why do we yeah. think? Should we go there? I don't know. But um, yeah, I think, yeah, I agree. hundred percent. hundred percent. All right. I guess that's a pretty good segue to police blotter. This is one of my least favorite topics, honestly, folks. But I feel like I've been saying the name Yasiel Puig way too fucking much on this podcast. But our, our wonderful Washington Post just came out with an article t- today that, that Patty gave me the heads up on about a Puig cover-up. And I feel like this is why we just don't trust anybody, because whenever we talk about these assault cases and they disappear, you know, the the woman doesn't show up or doesn't press charges, doesn't go to trial. And we maintain a grudge through that because shit like this happens. And we just talked about this a couple of weeks ago when um, he settled his most recent civil suit about the sexual assault at the at the basketball game bec- with, with the excuse that he didn't want it to distract from him trying to get his ass back in MLB next year. Well, that's not happening. And good luck, Korea. I really feel for the folks in the, in the KBO at this point getting this guy. So what the Washington Post article said was that they also uncovered two more allegations about types of sexual assault from 2017. And if you read the article and you don't want to see the details, don't read the whole thing. Like you can read the first half and then it it does get toward, uh, you know, too descriptive, I think, for a lot of people's comfort. So I'm giving you that little bit of a trigger warning there. There was one incident that started consensual and ended up getting violent. And there was hospital records and all of those things, much like the Trevor Bauer case. And then the other one was actually forcing himself into her apartment. So he denied both, and they were both settled out of court for a total of $325,000, which is an interesting amount that was discussed more in the article because on one hand, his current agent is saying $325,000. Like for a guy who has a multi-million dollar contract, that's nothing that proves that it wasn't um, it, it wasn't true, right? That he's just, you know... Is that because that, that amount wouldn't really be punitive to him because he could exactly. afford more? So, you know, don't don't worry your pretty little head about it. It was a token thing. Right, right. Like they could have held out for more. But there's so many layers of that, right? Because holding out for more is going more public, which, mm-hmm. the, I mean, after a traumatic experience, you know, it's it, you just really have to understand that if you've recently been traumatized, like clicking into logic and understanding what to do, that none of that's going to come through. But also, Puig very recently said that he's in financial problems. So another theory is that they got what they could because he has not been responsible with his money. You know, a lot of these young guys who come into money and have not been there don't know what to do with it. And who knows really what kind of financial situation he is in. So I think that that little detail is like, you know, I don't know, you can interpret it the way you want. Um, the the other interesting thing that the article goes into is how much did MLB know? And there are sources unnamed in the article that say that MLB did know and he kept playing. So he was not pulled. Um, it's unclear whether the women were willing to speak to the MLB investigators. But again, you know, it's it's a very stressful, 
difficult position for somebody to be in, especially right after assault. So it seems that he's almost at fault for this coming up because he was looking for some press to help him basically say that he's being blackballed by MLB and deserves another chance. He was doing this sort of like nice guy spin and the Washington Post is a Washington Post and they, you know, doing some background research, dug this up. Um, his current agent also, he he was with, you know, Rachel Luba and we talked about how <laughs> sad it is that, you know, he thought that she was damage, damaging his reputation. The woman who's currently representing him was part of Rachel Luba's organization, interestingly. Oh. Yeah. And she's Latina and he says understands um, him better. And she says that False claims like this are common against Latin players, especially because basically saying that they don't know better about the system, they're being taken advantage of, they're not used to having all this money. Nobody is making a comment who is actually involved at the time. Neither the attorneys, the women clearly aren't. The Dodgers CEO said, I have no recollection. And the crazy thing at the end, though, is that the wash or toward the end of the article that the Post sort of gave him a little bit of a cop out and said that insinuated that the reason why he's going to Korea is because of the lockout, because he knew he could get a deal in Korea. Whereas, I don't know, you know, they didn't, they looked the other way the first time, but it seems like all this is coming up. And this goes back to what I said last week about his um, social media post, basically saying, you know, I didn't know any better. I was this young Latino player. And it's now it's like very clear that he's using that as, as a super excuse. I mean, it's, there's a point for that, but there are a lot of other young Latino players who don't assault women so or aren't accused of assaulting four different women at this point. My guess is most of them, in fact. Yeah, I right? would think so. Yeah, because <laughs> you know? we haven't really talked about too many. Yeah. Oh and, and I don't know. The whole thing about the similarity between these descriptions and what Trevor Bauer is being accused of and them both being with Luba is just creepy That's as creepy. fuck. Like, sure I don't is. know. I don't get it. Yep. Yep. So also uh, along those lines, I hate to go cross training with um, sexual harassment and abuse, oh but, but Sally Jenkins, who is a goddess among yes. sports writers, also for the Washington Post, has a story about the NFL covering up sexual harassment Wonderful. at the ownership level, primarily Daniel Snyder, the owner of the Shit. Washington football team. Um, that's been going on for a while. He, right. you know, he, and they have they had like an independent investigator, a very well-known attorney, have this independent investigation, the whole thing, but they won't publish anything from. It's like, you know, they're going through motions, but they won't release anything. So they look good because and it's and she uses phrases like she compares him to ooze. I mean, she doesn't oh, pull any punches with the um with the name calling because she's had enough. She had now, enough with 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 Daniel Snyder and with mm-hmm. all the owners. Because yeah. there's like a, it's, you know, the old boys club for sure. And with the league. And she even throws in the whole, you know, you've got taxpayers paying for your stuff, you know, for like all the, the public support for stadiums. Mm-hmm. And yet you are, you know, you're basically, you're, you're running, running roughshod over everything. You are keeping things close to the chest that you don't want anybody to know. You're, you know, and she, she's just kind of horrified. She's just done with NFL ownership and leadership right now. And it was a really good read. And, you know, I'm I'm digging back into my brain from when I heard about um, Dan Snyder dealing with stuff. Was this the cheerleaders? Was it 
to dealing with the Washington cheerleaders? This wasn't specific. I don't think so. I think okay. this was like, I think this was staff. I think there was something okay. about like, you know, on the team plane, there's all kinds of, I mean, this is like, this is pervasive. And she talked about, they need to get to the root of the culture. Like we okay. talked about the Mets. It's the right. culture. It's bad. It's bad all over the place. So I'm going to link to that as well. And it's just like, wow, reading these things side by side. Yikes. Like, yeah. Yep. You know, we have a ways to go. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Mm-hmm. Um, on a sad note, we're going to extend our condolences to the family of Andres Melendez, who is a 20-year-old, was 20-year-old minor league catcher with the Guardians, who died suddenly in Miami on Thursday. That no cause of death has been announced. Oof. And one article said announced and one said determined. Like, so I don't know if they oh, don't wow. know the cause of death or they're just not ready to say what it is, but it took everybody by surprise. The kid's 20. Our kids are 20. Ouch. Um, oh. You know, it, I, I really get it. You know, it, it hurts. So um, our condolences, uh, too soon, too scary, very sad. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. To the family. Gosh, 20. When you said it that way. Yep. That hurts. All right. I'm going to try to move us over into the boyfriend situation. So uh, what we do in the off season is we pick these guys every week, one guy per team, because they're cool. There's something about them beyond the field that makes us want to hang out and have a beer with them. And so we started with the teams with their worst record and we're working our way up slowly and carefully. And this week we have the twins and our very own Washington Nationals, which just fucking blows me away. But also the twins. Like I really thought that the twins were much better off last year than they than they were. But actually, as I, I went into looking for a boyfriend and and had all sorts of problems with that, realized, oh, this is why the twins were so low down. <laughs> but you know, back to the the idea that this is a guy that you're gonna have a beer with. This is my first pick that maybe maybe not my first, but one one of my picks that I feel very confidently would be a fun guy to have a beer with would actually drink a beer because the first exposure that I had when I started searching for him was that he tweeted a picture of him holding a beer while <laughs> wearing his baby in a sling. And there was Woo! so much good for me about this picture. Have I said his name? I haven't said his name. You haven't. This is, this is Mitch Garver, catcher, which is also exciting for me because I en- always end up being short on catchers, 30 years old. So Mitch Garver posted on Twitter a picture of him holding a beer while wearing his baby. Now, I was a big baby wearer. I think the baby in the sling thing just like works really well. Tote that kid You know around. what we need? We need like side-by-side shots of you and me and Mitch Garver with babies and slings holding beer. I bet we could do it. I bet we could. <laughs> yeah. I totally have to look for that picture because I am sure, I am sure these exist. So not, cheers. Not we would have had any adult beverages while nursing, no. of course. Of course not. No. They, they sleep really well, mind you, after that. But um, <laughs> so oh, not only. Get letters. <laughs> <laughs> not only. Yes. Get your parenting tips from No Crying in Baseball. Um, not only does he drink a beer while wearing the baby in the, in the sling, but he actually collaborated with Omni Brewing Company. I now have to look up their beer. They're in Minnesota to create an IPA, which really is my favorite beer named Garve Sauce, which is his <laughs> nickname. And I did not go into where that came from. So I'm mighty curious, um, with a cartoon image of him on the can. 
So he's on a beer can. He works with local breweries. I love local beer and IPA. So this is my guy. He was signed by the twins in 2013. And then like back down to the baseball stuff. I kind of oh, yeah. like like the to the guys who start with the team and follow with the team. It's just one of those, you know, nice stories to to catch up on. And he was in um Rochester in 2017, your place in the, the the place where your kid lives. And you guys have seen games in Rochester. I have probably seen him play. That isn't that cool. Like that's what I love about this thing is Maybe. that we we think about ah oh, we were there um so then he debuted in 2017 in uh in t after spending most of the season in AAA with Rochester his year with most play was 18 he's had a lot of injury issues which is a bit of a bummer he did break out in 19 with 31 home runs which that year Dang. was second for catchers. I'm bummed that Gary Sanchez of the Yankees beat him with 34, but 31 home runs, not bad. He missed a lot during both 20 and 21. So I'm doing a little bit of a gamble here. He's had some big injuries, including, and you don't, don't look this up if you don't want to. He took a really hard um, foul to the cup and Oops. had a groin contusion and surgery. It was in a game with the Orioles. Luckily, everything seems to be okay, and he's still catching. He said pretty much afterwards that, yeah, I'll go back and try it again. Um, one little you know, note that gets him on the history books is in July 27, 2021, they were playing against the Tigers, and he and the Tigers catcher, Eric Haas, both hit grand slams during that game. And it was the first time in MLB history, there's a stat for everything, folks, that opposing catchers hit grand slams in the same game. Only better if they were also brothers. That's a that, good stat. That, totally. <laughs> totally. He was born in New Mexico. And oh, here's the other, like, he should be potty mouse boyfriend sign. He was born in New Mexico, grew up in New Mexico, went to university in New Mexico. But what team was he a fan of growing up? Hmm. Red Sox. That is my team, if anybody's listening to us for the very first time. And he went to Fenway and fell in love, and I kind of understand that situation. Another thing about him is the where I got the most information was this cute video of this female reporter. I don't know where she's from. He, she was doing an interview with him, but they were playing catch the whole time. And I could just see myself oh. doing that. That looked like so much fun. He was just so, so chill. And one of his lines was, I'm just a regular dude. I'm very approachable. He married his high school sweetheart, Sarah, who is a veterinarian, and their son was born in July, and they have two rescue dogs. And his walk-up song is Shining Star by Earth, Wind, and Fire. I so know the words to that one. That's awesome. <laughs> Isn't that cool? So there's a lot of like, this is a cool guy to hang out in a bar with. Mitch Garver, I'm very happy to have a catcher. And uh, yeah, that's my twins dude. All right. All right. So I started looking for twins dudes. And, um, you know, I started with like the potty mouth uh, strategy of their name and scandal. And, you know, <laughs> I, I started looking at um, Alex Kurilov because it's a hockey name. I mean, it's such a hockey name, right? This guy's got to be great. And sure. I didn't find any scandal things. But then I and, you know, he did go to college. He got dropped out of high school. And then I see the college he was going to go to was Liberty University. And I thought, ah. you know what? I would not comfortably have a beer with him. We would not really have enough things to talk about. So I'm going to move on. And I'm glad we did because I, I found Brent Rooker, who um, I think is, um, yeah, he's he's in my brain. He's in my brain. I'm going <laughs> to tell you about this more in a minute. But um, weirdly, both of my guys today are from Tennessee. That's kind of unusual for me. Isn't mm -hmm. that a little bit weird? But there you sure. go. So he was born in, he's 27. He plays left field. 
for the twins. He was born in Germantown, Tennessee. His dad, Terry, caught at the University of Memphis for four years, um, and he coached Brent from age six to 13 until they went on a travel team. And there was a story that Brent absolutely Max Scherzered him. I didn't use that phrase. (laughs) When he was 10, they were at States, and his dad came out to the mound. He was pitching at the time. His dad came out to the mound to pull him for the game. And this 10-year-old kid looks at his dad and says, you are not taking me out of this game. And his dad turned around and walked away and they won the game. (laughs) Okay. Um, His dad, Terry, is also known as the DC, the designated crier in the family. His mom, Lynn, played tennis at Baylor and Memphis and is most certainly not a crier and proud of that. Um, So he played, in addition to high school baseball, he played basketball and was a 2013 finalist for Mr. Football. That's for the state because he held 18 school records as the starting quarterback. So he's that cross-training guy for darn sure. Um, In 2017, he won the the Ferris Trophy for the top player in the state. Plus, he was the SEC Player of the Year. And this is the super cool one. He was the second player ever in the SEC to win the Triple Crown, which is, you know, the, the batting title, home runs. An RBI. I mean, that's super hard to do. Only two people have ever done that's that. That's crazy. History. So he did it at the University of um, of Mississippi, and the only other person to do it was Rafael Palmero. Palmero. Wow. Right in 1984, also at the University of Mississippi. Isn't that crazy? The only yeah. two guys ever to win the SEC Triple Crown. And there was a nice article wow. when he was when he was chasing that title by Rafael Palmier. They interviewed him and he was said how excited he was to watch this guy play, which you know, Brent then said this this is amazing. Because you know, obviously, how can you not look up to this guy, especially yeah, going to the same wow. school and all that? So um it, he was drafted by the twins in the in the supplemental um supplemental round in 2017. And um in 2019, he played for Team USA um, in the WBSC Premier 12 and finally debuted in September, September 4th of 2020. And of course, we told many of these stories that, you know, guys who had their call ups during the COVID year, they couldn't have their families in the stands. And so there's all these very lovely but sad articles interviewing the, the parents who are watching from home or from wherever. So so his parents, and you know, Terry and Lynn, are watching on like the TV at home. And so he started with a doubleheader. And the second game, he got his first hit. And his dad burst into tears. And his mom said, I just turned to him and I said, would you please stop crying? <laughs> <laughs> but OK, so that was that was September 4th. September 12th, he was hit by a pitch. Um, by Zach Plesak of the the Guardians, fractured his forearm, and he was out for the rest of the season. So basically, he had like a week of glory, and he was out. But he had a fantastic week or so. Um, And then last year, he was in AAA for about the first half of the year. But then when Nelson Cruz got traded away from the Twins, my, my former boyfriend there, he was called up to replace him. Now, all of that is well and good. But oh my God, he had me at his Twitter feed. So he's a new a new parent. So I think part of his Twitter feed joy is he's up at all freaking hours with the baby. <laughs> so off season, that's okay. <laughs> right. So his Twitter feed references the following things and see if you is that anybody you know. He references the television shows Succession, The Wire, Game of Thrones, and Breaking Bad. <laughs> he had a very funny remark about Hallmark Christmas movies. Remember that that Hunter Renfro episode where the ball bounced off of him and went out and it was called a home run? 
Right. And I went, I went off on that. So did he, he did that on Twitter. He's like, okay, <laughs> I looked at the rule book. It's real, but it stinks. And then, um, over to his Instagram back when he was on team USA and he was referencing with team, he made a, a her Brooks, you know, miracle on ice joke. And I'm like, Oh my God. Oh, oh my God. I, I love this That's... guy so much. He lives in my head. I mean, I, yeah. yeah. Talk about how a beer with this guy, it would be like a nonstop gab fest. I could not stop talking to this guy. And there was a very, very sweet post that, um, that a mom put up there. I guess when he was in the minors, they were at, um, I think they, they, they were playing the Louisville bats and he got, he was friendly with a kid sitting right behind the dugout. They were the visiting team, but he was friendly with this kid in the stands and made sure he got a game ball and was very nice to him. And Aww, the kid good. ended up dressing up like him for Halloween. <laughs> For Halloween. That's just so great. Anyway, his wife's name is Allie. She's an ER nurse. They have a dog, Moose, and their daughter, Blair, was born in September. And I think he's a whole bunch of fun, and I wish him well, and I hope he does great freaking stuff. And Blair? That's crazy. That's where your kid went to high school. There's so many connections. So many, so many. things. So many things. All right. To, to no one's surprise, Probably. What what we get to do with our baseball boyfriends, we have to change them every year except for one. We get one holdover. And so that's always like that moment. Where's that guy? Who's that one guy out of those 30 that you're going to pick and keep with for the following year? And I'm staying with Juan Jose Soto Pacheco, right fielder of our Washington Nationals, who you is- You are no fool. You are no fool. <laughs> 23 years old. I am not going to let him go. Like So for folks who've been listening to us for a long time, my first forever boyfriend was Mookie Betts, and then he went to the Dodgers, and I just felt bad about that. And I kind of dropped him at the right time, to tell you the truth, yeah, and picked really up- Juan Juan Soto and um it's it's been a good relationship since then and I'm gonna keep it going and you know hope that hope that things work out with the Nats, but I'm gonna get there at the end. For the record, especially if our friends at Two Strike Noise are listening, I love the Soto shuffle. I think it's hysterical. He's got swagger without being an asshole. He's adorable. He's kind of smirking. I mean, he doesn't look tough. You know, he just, he's having fun. Go for it. And, and, you know, his, his legs get wider with every strike. So, so watch that leg span. I got to go back to our, our old episodes to do a little bit of cribbing to 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 fill in the blanks here yeah. for Juan Soto because I don't think if I didn't remember it I'm thinking that you guys probably didn't either that he comes <laughs> from working class parents in the Dominican Republic his dad Juan Soto and his mom Belkis Pacheco and his dad wanted to be a baseball player and actually was a catcher in a local league his mom was an accountant his dad did sort of it depends on which article you read as what kind of work he did, but your basic working class stuff, either working for a uniform company or a street seller. But the baseball was part of, of Juan's life from the beginning. And he even had a bat shaped bib and a sweet quote. And I just, I found a lot of sweet quotes while looking for sort more recent stuff about him. He said, my family always taught me to be friendly with everybody because you never know who you're treating well and who you're helping. So basically treat everybody well because you don't know what's going on at the other side and why not expect the best. And it's the family is also just a big part part of him and if you go to his Instagram now there's pictures of with him with his like his brother and his sister. Just sweet stuff. Very I mean he's 23 years old. He was signed by the Nats at age 16, although he was 6'1 at the time, but age 16, 2015. 
And $1.5 million bonus was the largest that the Nats had given to an international free agent at that point. But they had been scouting him. And actually, the Nats got in under, there was one other team who was serious about it and when it was actually going to up that amount. But they shook on this deal. And even though nothing was signed, it was the handshake is of value. And he's stuck oh. with it. So he's an honorable guy. His family is honorable. So he came up in May of 2018 at the ripe old age of 19 years old. And at, for the Nats, there were all these comparisons, of course, to when Bryce Harper did the same thing. Homered in his first pitch of his first at-bat in his first start. He had come in late in the game the day before, I think, but his first actual start went well. With his parents, because it was in the, in the before times when the parents were allowed in the in the in the audience in the stadium, his parents were watching his 422 foot opposite field three run home run. <laughs> Not bad. That year, he was actually the the youngest MLB player in that season, and and Baseball Reference judges by the start of the season, like how old everybody was at the start, and he's pretty young. And if you look at that year, I thought it was fascinating. Six of the top 10 youngest players that year were Atlanta players. And I'm wondering if that fed into like this past year's success with them, that they sort of brought them mm -hmm. in young. And anyway, yep. there goes Atlanta. Um, the cool thing, of course, that anybody who's been watching Juan Soto for a while knows is that he can take a ball. He, as, as much as he can hit the ball, he has amazing plate discipline for a youngin. And he had the most walks by a teenager, including intentional walks. And there were some stories about him being intentionally walked pretty, pretty soon in after his debut because he was that good. His career stats, his slash line is 301, 432, 981 slugging. You know that he was an all-star this past year and that he was in that home run derby. He was a silver slugger, both 20 and 21. And he came in second to Bryce Harper, irony there, for, for MVP last year. But, you know, maybe he'll follow Bryce's footsteps in another way. And when he gets to however old that is, he'll get his MVP too. He did have the NL batting title in 2020. My favorite Juan Soto moment that I didn't get to talk about when I picked him the first time was when <laughs> we were there for the wild card game in 2019 and he, he saved the game. I mean, he basically, you know, made the road for the, the Nats to get to the world series because they were down bottom of the eighth inning and he blasts a three run bases loaded single on two outs against Josh Hader. It like doesn't get much better than that to take the lead. Yes. There was an error involved by my former Padres boyfriend, Trent, Trent Grisham, who at that point was with Milwaukee, but it was, it was the most electric moment I have ever had in a stadium live. Like that was, that's my that all-time, my all-time yep. favorite, favorite moment. So much fun. So he, when, when I first talked about him a couple of years ago, talked about how his role model is David Ortiz. Well, the, the photos from the Dia de Landas that I talked about recently in the Dominican Republic with all these new stars and old stars coming back together, there are just the sweetest photos of these now they're all giants together of Juan Soto and Vladdy and Ortiz and Pedro Martinez. And actually Juan Soto, bless his like adorable little heart, wore a Pedro Martinez jersey to the sure event he did. and took it off and had it signed by Pedro there. And Pedro says that he is going to break a record with his contract. 
So that is the news that everybody's waiting for. What oh, yeah. is going to happen with his contract? His current contract ends at 26 uh, in 2026. Um, of course, extensions or, oh, can be. Hmm? Yeah. Is it 2026 or when he's 26? Oh, whoops. That's right. Age 26. So that is three years from now, which is 2024. Can I do add? Can I add? Yeah. Can you do it? Right. Can, can, can you say, I do can add? You say Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. My margarita is gone. I'm going to text the port really soon. Right. He is going to be 26 when his contract ends, which is probably three years from now, seeing as though he's 23 now. Look at me do this math. I'm so his impressed. His agent is Scott Boris, which you know that he's strategizing for the big bucks. So he's not signing an extension now, especially because, and this kind of breaks my, my teeny little heart here because I just think of Soto as loving being here. You know, I think of him as a national and it's that, you know, I, I love to have the hometown hero who's going to be the face of the franchise. So I don't want anyone to fucking say anything about Juan Soto leaving the, the nation's capital. But Boris opened his big fucking mouth and basically said that it's clear that when he does make this big ass contract, it's going to be with an ownership that wants to compete and win, which is not clear right now in Washington. But Quan, of course, saves the day with this quote by saying, never mind anything, I'm going to have fun. I'm going to enjoy everything that I can in this moment of my career. I'm going to keep working hard. So he's just, you know, his agent's going to do his stuff. He's going to have fun, work hard, and I am going to enjoy watching him. But I hope he stays around. Okay, so three things about that. One is I'm glad to hear that both of them are doing their jobs. His agent is doing what his that's, agent needs to do. That's right. And so does what he needs to do. Number two... How old do you think Soto is going to have to be before we start saying, can you believe he's only X? Because right. we started saying, can you believe he's only 19? Now we're just like, can you believe he's only 23? I mean, when when is it going to be like a time where it's like, okay, this is, this is what we'd expect from a superstar of that age? I don't know. The third thing, I think it was Brent Rooker, my new boyfriend's Twitter feed, where he said, you know, you, you've seen um, the little the images of like Juan Soto going to other baseball games once the, nat the national right. season was over, right? Right. And he posted something saying, Juan Soto is the only person who can legitimately sit in the stands and yell, what are you swinging at to a batter? <laughs> That's great. Yep. That's great. I hope he did. <laughs> yep. Yep. Sure enough. All right. So I had a lot of nationals guys that I kind of like, and I wasn't sure who to go with. And just to be weird and to play against type. And <laughs> there's one story that I want to tell Potty Mouth. Okay. This is all for one story. Although I do like I'm this guy a lot. Okay. I'm going with Lane Thomas, center fielder, 26 from Knoxville. He, last year when I picked the CW, Andrew Stevenson, he, you know, I noted that he walks up to a country song, which is sort of against type for me. Mm -hmm. Lane Thomas was the only other national to walk up to country music last year, which I, not me. Not me, but though your my, kid appreciates it. Yeah. My kid says, but mom, it's a good song. I'm like, well, fine, fine. Okay. <laughs> I would have a great time talking with this guy. I think because I'm sort of fascinated by some things, primarily his dad was a professional drag racer. 
Wow. A drag racer, right? So from three months old to six years old, Lane Thomas went on the road with his dad to something like 23 races per year, right? As this little kid. And then when he started going to school, he just went over, you know, over the summer, but he traveled with his dad to do to these drag racing events. Like, are you freaking kidding me? When wow. he started playing baseball, they kept gloves and a ball in the trailer that was, you know, home base when you're on the road for this. And he said he would like, he would play catch with whoever would play catch with him at whatever track they were at. Um, and so there are a lot of people in the world of professional drag racing who said, oh yeah, I threw with him. He's got a great arm. Like everybody knows. Him, right? it's like, oh, oh yeah, sure. But one of my favorite stories was like when his dad, you know, won big and was up on like, you know, a podium getting an award, Lane came up with him and also signed autographs with his dad. He was like three or four years old then. Those I autographs are going to be worth something someday. I just think, yeah, I just think it's, it's totally fun. So again, we've got another dad who coached the kid. You know, that's not all that uncommon. Um, so when his dad retired from racing um, and Lane was 13, he stepped into helping to coach the travel team, right? Which won the Tennessee championship two years in a row. I don't know that he ever had to Max Scherzer him. However, <laughs> and Lane says that for a while he was considering, do I want to do I want to go into drag racing? Because he grew up on it, right? And then he said, it's actually, it's too much adrenaline. He would rather stick to having something flying at him than being the, the projectile himself in the car. I'm like, okay, all right. Yeah, that makes sense. So he ended up committing to the University of Tennessee, but he was drafted in the fifth round 2014 by the Blue Jays for $750,000, which is decent money, but it's not the... Um, gigantic amount of money that people like would say, you know, I can't say no to that. So I'm kind mm -hmm. of interested that, you know, that he, he jumped on it. But um, in 2017, the Blue Jays traded him to the Cardinals for international pool money. He was fine. He was, he did fine. And part of the doing fine was in April, 2019 on his call up, he hit a home run on his very first major league swing. So he kind of started wow, with a bang, that's great. right? He started with a bang. So, do you remember in the beginning of the 2020 season when they finally got underway and teams just got wiped out and the Cardinals was one of the first teams to get wiped out? Um, he was part of that. He was he was one of the people that was taken out by the coronavirus outbreak on the Cardinals. Um, he was out for 16 days. He dropped 10 pounds. And when he came back to the team, he often needed an inhaler. He was so wrung out from having COVID That's that scary. he had a... Yeah, he had a scary, crappy rest of the season because it just took so much out of him then. The Nats got uh, got Lane Thomas from the Cardinals at the last second at the trade deadline when the Nats traded, for, uh, traded John Lester away to the Cardinals. Oh. They got Lane then. So he was very briefly... Um, at, at, you know, in Rochester, because after Rochester was the home of the Twins, it's now the home of the Nats, AAA. So <laughs> he got called up when Robles, Victor Robles, got sick, was going to be out for like a weekend. And he was so freaking amazing that they stuck with him. They kept saying, oh, don't worry, Robles will be back. Robles will be back. His first extra base hit as a Nat was like a two-run opposite field triple. Right. In his first seven games with the Nationals, this is when he's filling in for like the up and coming star, Victor Robles. He's filling in. <laughs> wow. This the first seven games. His slash line was 526, 640 and 737. Ten hits in 19 at bats, including wow. two doubles, 
three RBI, four runs, and a stolen base. Um, this was a real turnaround because the first half of 2021, he had 15 RBI in 84 games as a Cardinal. In the first 29 games as a National, 18. So he had wow. picked up his pace so much. He came and he, he just, he said, you know, it's new fans, a new place. He thinks that a, that fed him and made him like really like, you know, he always tried hard. Clearly he was good, but like he, he heard it, us. It really spurred him on. He heard us. It must us. have been us. Just scream. He, he heard our voices. That that's When we yelled, let's go new guy. Yeah, exactly. It's going to encourage me to yell louder. So he did so well that like Victor Robles actually got sent down and Lane became the leadoff hitter. I mean, Robles is, they said, we're not done with him. You know, we're, he's working on his swing, mm -hmm. he's doing all these things, but, but Lane Thomas was on, on a roll. So the story that I wanted to tell you is, you know, his last name is Lane, which is like street. So um, they were kidding around by calling him home run lane. You know, like I want to live on home run lane. So Bob Carpenter is the, one of the, um, the commentators, he does the play-by-play -play for the Nats um, on TV, and he's older, and he said, let's see, if I had an address on Home Run Lane, it would be 420 Home Run Lane. <laughs> Did he and understand that? That's no, Bob Carpenter? <laughs> no. And so, and, and FP looks at him, and he's like, um, Bob? And he's like, well, you know, because 420 feet is a home run in any ballpark. And- FP said, why don't you go with 419 or say 421? <laughs> <laughs> That's so cute. That's in Fenway, there's this big 420 in center field. That so yep. Sure there is. That's it. Yep. Sure there is. Uh, so uh the weird fact, the weirdest thing is not the drag racing. The weirdest thing that he and his sister actually own a kitchen cabinet company in Knoxville called Knox Cabinet Company. I don't know why. I don't know why. But he does. So I guess he's got his like post-career situation all worked yeah. out. And and he's got a dog named Baxter who's super cute. So that's my story about Lane. That was also, I could tell you that Bob Carpenter story. But he's got a hell of a bat and he's fun to watch. And nothing that I found shows that he's a jerk. And so, you know, this is good. And when you get somebody whose dad is in drag racing and, um, you know, it's the, the Southern thing. If you want to get stereotypical... There are, it's a minefield. There could be things, but mm -hmm. I didn't find anything. So I'm hoping that's true because I really like this guy. He was yeah. super fun to watch. And I hope he's going to be super fun to watch this year too. So, you know, I've been living in DC too long or DC area too long when, when you first said drag racing, all I could think of was DuPont circle drag race, because that's the only drag race that I've been to, which is right. And that would be is, the drag queen race for those right, of you right. who don't live here. Yes. Right. Sure. Running in heels. It's an impressive event. And but dangerous. that's the only drag. It's yeah. Possibly more dangerous than actual, you know, in-car drag racing. I don't know. Yep. I don't know. Um, next week, we'll be back to you with Kansas City and Miami. Ooh, I have some homework to do. All right. right speaking of our nation's cast capital, I want to give a huge, huge shout out. Congratulations to P P Paloma Banach, who we've, we've inter interviewed her mom for this show and a bunch of her teammates from D.C. Girls Baseball. I don't think we've had Paloma on, but maybe we need to because she was just named captain of her high school baseball team. One of the captains. I'm not sure how many there are, but this is a high school baseball team. So it's apparently a co-ed team because she's on it. I don't think there are any other girls on it, but Wilson High School of DC, which is a, a very respectable school for sports. So 
power to her. And I have more to talk about with women in baseball this week, which is which is always a fun thing to do. Justine Siegel, one of our sheroes who founded Baseball for All, does a bunch of amazing things for girls baseball, is back in Mexico. And we actually talked about her on this show a couple of years ago in 2019 when she became the first woman to coach as a guest coach Mexican pro ball in the Liga Mexicana del Pacifico, which is the, the winter, the Invernal League in Mexico with the Naranjeros de Hermosillo. So this week she went back again. Now, last year, 2020, mind you, COVID. So that put a damper on things like international travel. But here she is again. I think it's really cool that on all her shirts, she wore number 42, which I'm, I'm wondering if, if is known in Mexico or the significance or that anybody got to talk about it. But I think it's beautiful that she goes internationally and wears number 42. So she gets coached again with the Nanjeros, who are currently in second place, but also with other teams, the Aguilas de Mexicali, who are first place. So she gets coaching with teams that are you know, competitive right now, the Agonda. Algodoneros, Algodoneros, those are the cotton pickers. Algodon is cotton, so I can't even do it. I haven't had, I've had too much beer apparently. Algodoneros de Guasave, which is a great name, fifth place. But also while she's there, she's been putting on clinics with girls, all girls clinics in Mexico playing baseball. So power to Justine Siegel, absolute hero. More women's baseball is coming back in Japan. So also in this show before, you know, folks, if you haven't listened, go back to our past episodes because we've talked about all this stuff through the years. And we were very excited at one point that there was a women's league in Japan, which unfortunately stopped happening after 2019. There was a four-team league for 10 years, 2009, 2019. And in that time and past then, Japan has been just raking in women's baseball internationally. They're six-time World Cup champions because they play, because they were playing all year. I don't know what's happened the past couple of years, but now there are, uh, I can't count, three or four teams. I think it's three who have committed to starting women's teams again. The Yamiri Giants, who are the 22, 22-time Japan Series champs, they wow. just formed their women's team after the Cebu Lions have and the Hanshin Tigers have. So the goal is to get shit together for 2023 to have tournaments or maybe a season. All I can say is we've got to get our shit together in this country, definitely, because things are happening. And, you know, the International World Cup is something that it would be nice to see uh, the United States putting a little bit more effort into. Speaking of Japan... So this lockout situation, I think, is definitely making players, besides Yasiel Puig, think about looking elsewhere. Because who the fuck knows what's going to happen? Matt Andrees, who is one of the Red Sox relief pitchers this past year, just signed with the aforementioned Yamiori Giants for $2.1 million, plus another 500000 incentives. So that's just showing that this could happen more, I think, if this lockout looks grim. So this country's got to get its shit together quickly. I mean, Andres had his good days and his bad days, clearly, as all Red Sox fans know from last year. But he was, you know, a key, a key part of the advancement and the Red Sox going beyond what we thought they would be. Quick you can question. watch baseball. So, yeah. So NPB plays the same time as MLB, right? It's not winter mm -hmm. ball. They play the same season. So this, these are players making a choice to not play MLB. 
It's not like Absolutely. they're playing winter Absolutely. ball in between. This is instead of. Yep. Okay. Thanks. Yep. Yep. KBO and and Japan and Taiwan also are all at the same time. So they're going to be decisions and it'll be interesting to see what happens. The baseball that is happening now, though, is Dominican Republic, Lilam. And today, and oh my God, what time is it? 5.16. I'm going to, as soon as we we stop recording, I'm going to tune into this. So you might already know the, the result. But my Leones del Escogido were, are hanging on by a claw at this point to be able to go, get into the playoffs. So there's six teams, four getting into the playoffs. Um, the, the Leones at this point are playing the Aguilas Cibaeñas this next couple games, but it depends on what happens today. If the Aguilas win, they go to the playoffs. If the Leones win, they have to play the Aguilas again and win again, and then they go to the playoffs. So Oy. it's technically, I don't know. So it's much work. Not, it is. It's way too much work. I am hopeful uh, Franchi Cordero, uh, my my past boyfriend, originally from the Royals, transferred to the Red Sox, was very key in the Leones beating the Gigantes, which was the first place team to get to this point, that he hit a home run. So yay, Franchi. Also, there's stuff going on the, with, with other teams in Lidam. The Tigres clinched Tigres de Lisey. And what I found uh, fun about their Instagram post, while you're on Instagram, check this out, Yerman Mercedes who we last saw or we last talked about with the White Sox at the beginning of the year, who had that little run-in with Tony La Russa and then everything fell apart for poor Mercedes. He seems to be doing very well at the Tigres de Lisey, and he was enjoying yeah. himself tremendously at their little festivacation after they clinched, which is means pouring beer all over his face. Little festivacation is such a <laughs> right. nice way to word it. Also, Ramon Loreano, who's I, I didn't write this down. I think he, he's with the A's, right? Um, yep. He debuted. He debuted that day with the uh, Tigres and went two and zero. So not bad for showing up in Lidom. But I need my Leones to get it together. So the Gigantes de Cibao are in first place. Estrellas Orientales jumped in with Robinson Cano, who is now playing with them. And there's rumor that Fernando Tatis Jr. might show up in the playoffs and Tigres de Lice. So we'll see what happens with Lidam. But tune in. You can get that on MLB. What I haven't figured out to, how to watch yet, but I got to figure it out, is the Liga Venezuela de Baseball Profesional because Ildermaro Vargas, who we talked about last week being on a hitting streak, is still on that hitting streak as we same record one, right now. And I'm hoping I'm not the same hitting streak. I'm knocking every yeah. piece of wood around me because I don't want to fuck this up. He beat the league record at this point at 27 sec consecutive games with a hit. For Venezuelans, and this is funny because last week I didn't realize that they had separated this out. So there's actually a foreign player, Adrian Garnett, Garrett, Garrett, Garrett. There's no end there. Garrett, this is my eyes getting blurry <laughs> at this point, who has the actual complete record in the LVBP of 28. So today, right now, as I'm speaking, I'm hoping that Vargas gets one more hit so that he can at least tie the absolute record for LVBP. But at least he helped the Cardinales clinch the playoff spot. And I think not coincidentally, he landed a minor league deal with the Cubs, where apparently he was before. I, got, I picked him as my baseball boyfriend when he's on the D-backs, but I think his Cubs deal was after that. 
he gets back on a minor league deal, like you had said before, Patty, that it's they can do shit like that now. So maybe they like noticed he's hitting like crazy in, in Venezuela. Yep. Might, as, might as well sign him in. Other notables, if you want to tune into LVBP, I didn't realize that Asturubal Cabrera, who we last saw, or I last paid attention to on the Nats, although he got traded off this year. Where was he? I don't remember where he, where he ended up this past year. But he's playing with Williams Astudio, former boyfriend of yours, on the Caribes de Answategui. And I just put that in because I love saying Answategui. It's the coolest word. I like to hear you say that. It's a good one. Also, talking about boyfriends doing cool things in the winter, you're the guy that Patty picked last week. So go back and, and listen to last week's ep if you don't know this guy. Bebo, Roberto Perez, just joined the Indios de Mayagüez in the Liga Baseball Profesional de Roberto Clemente in Puerto Rico. He actually played with them before in 2015 to 16. He starts next weekend, the day after Christmas, 1226, and he was actually born in Mayagüez. And the article that I read refers to him as a Mayagüezano, which I think is just, it's just- You taught me word. how to say Mayagüez last week. <laughs> and now <laughs> he's weeks, there. whatever that was, yep. Yeah, yep. and now you now you're gonna get to use it more. So we're gonna we're gonna look forward to seeing Bebo help them through the playoffs. I, I believe they're in first place. And last minute addition here, Pro Base in Panama, one of my favorite players from the the Red Sox this past season, who came up, went back down a little bit, but he had the hair, he had the cuhar. Jonathan Arauz debuted with the Ferrales de Chiriqui, and they after his debuted. Tied it up in first place with the team that I had been rooting for, which was the Astronautas de los Santos. But it's a it's a three game, a three three team three team league this year, so not much competition there. The Aguilas Metropolitanas are way behind those two. Which brings me to our word of the week, Palabra de la Semana. I wanted to do this in honor of um, Bebo Perez because of the article that I read about him joining the Indios, he is joining them as a receptor, which is huh. catcher. Yeah. So like, it's like receptor. a receiver. Receptor. Okay. Receptor. Yeah. So he that, is the catcher. Good, yeah. And and actually, if you read enough and listen to enough, you're going to hear catcher as much as receptor, but that's what it is. Yeah. Last piece of international ball real quick. Australia, they're not playing this season. We've said that before, but they are really bummed about it. So they're doing some exhibition games. You can catch one the weekend of January 7th, 8th, and 9th. Melbourne Aces against the Adelaide Giants, if you want to see some Aussie ball. Probably oh, on right. YouTube. All right. Um, we're going to wind up with the COVID report cross-training because there's a lot, man. All the sports. We're taking out all the sports. I mean, I'm sure where you are, like where we are, um, COVID is taken off like wildfire all over again. So depressing. All over again. And a lot of sports who had been doing okay for a while are not doing as well now and are changing the rules. So NHL. So the NHL one is killing me dead because – last couple of years, I've given my kid for Christmas hockey tickets as like the big present. Like, let's go to a uh, hockey game together. And I remember how I was saying, oh, I'm having so much fun at hockey games and they're packed. Yeah. I'm not going to a packed hockey game, but also there are fewer and fewer hockey games all the time because games are getting postponed. Now, the NHL is um, happily almost, they, and they advertise they're almost 100% vaccinated at the player level. 
They're not yet wow. mandating boosters and but they've got a lot of players testing positive, but they're not getting seriously ill. So the, you know, the, the vaccines are working, you know, these guys aren't getting sidelined for very long. They're not getting, ending up being hospitalized because they're vaccinated. And, you know, when they get boosted, it'll be even better, but they do want to minimize the spread. So they are postponing games and they're they're implementing their enhanced protocols again, as if it were 2020. They're, they're not gone back to masking indoors all the time. And while traveling, the players have to be distanced during meals. It applies to everyone, no matter what their vaccine status is. Um, when they're on the road, they get daily testing for the whole traveling party. But here's the thing, like they're not in a bubble. Remember, like for some of these, some leagues yeah. were playing in a bubble in 2020. Now they're not. So they're, you know, they're living their lives. They're seeing their family. They are, you know, going to a grocery store or whatever. And there, there's more opportunity. So the NHL can only mandate what it can mandate. You know, it can control yeah. when you are, when you're, they're, they're, they're treating it like a workplace. When you're at your workplace, here's what you've got to do. Um, interestingly, in Ontario, they're limiting arena capacity to 50%. That's the first, um, first a venue changing what what can happen there not surprising because canada is always ahead of the game on that for sure for sure so in february there's a 19 day break for the olympics whether or not players go so this hmm. may provide wow. time for a little bit of a reset so if players do go and you know they they would represent any number of countries because, you know, the National Hockey League pulls from many countries, um, they would have to follow the super strict protocols in China for the Olympics. If they don't go, it gives 19 days to either play all these rescheduled games. They have postponed a boatload of games. Mm. Um, wow. They could either use that time for rescheduling or they could just call a halt because there, there wasn't going to be a schedule for those 19 days anyway. And maybe let everybody sort of like Calm down, you know, try to, you know, remember what we said two weeks, it'll be fine. You know, it's, it's right. Kind of that. That's as long as everybody is responsible during that time. For sure. For sure. Also, the NFL has three teams with more than 20 players each on their COVID lists. Do we, do um, we know who those teams are? Uh, yes, I believe they anybody I love and care about. Me, the Browns, it's uh, Browns, oh, Rams, really? and the Washington football team, I think. I think it's Washington. I'm trying to remember. I don't want to be oh. a rumor monger. But I'm pretty sure it's those three teams. Um, but, but games are being postponed by like four and five days. So like the Browns game that was supposed to be like maybe this past Thursday is going to be Monday afternoon. Because, you know, based on your vaccine status and whether you're asymptomatic or not, you may be able to come back from the COVID list sooner, right? So they think that might be enough days to get the people who aren't actually sick, sick, to come back. It's all fishy. It's all scary. Um, they're also bringing back their enhanced protocols about masking and distancing and all of that, but also not playing in a bubble. So, um, you know, you can only control what you can control. So it's worth paying attention to people. You have to make some decisions about, um, how you're going to behave, how you're going to behave, which actually, you know, kind of leads me to this coming week. Um, I canceled my trip to visit my family for uh, the holidays, Co yeah. absolutely COVID related and other siblings also canceled their trips and we're all kind of okay with it. I mean, we really would be really nice to be together, but we'd be coming from like five different places 
And even though we're all, you know, I think we may all be boosted and everything is still traveling through. And like we said, you know, you, you can still carry things and a lot of us are older or whatever. Um, so I'm hoping folks out there will be careful. You make the decision that's right for you and your family if you're traveling this week. Um, and, and, you know, be smart about things. I know yeah. you want to see your family and you can see your family, but, but think about the best way to do it to protect them as well. Yeah. Like, well. like I have also not- seen my dad since like before this whole thing. So our plan is yeah. to get the kid, go straight to dad's and then not see anybody else there and then come back. I just feel like yeah. it's been so yeah. long and my dad's 89. That's, I just, I, yeah. And, so and also, you so said hard. you guys are all going to, you know, do testing before you go. Yes, and all we're going to, we I have mean, appointments for our tests on Wednesday night. Yeah. And we're going to go on Friday. So hopefully yeah. that'll be all okay. Yeah. No, absolutely. So, I mean, just be aware of those <sighs> I don't want to be a damn. Like, if you are celebrating Christmas, I hope you have a yeah. Merry Christmas. I plan to. It's just not the one I yes. initially had in mind. Um, so, you know. Mm-hmm. Do do what you got to do. I hope you have a lovely time. I, I know everybody's got a couple of days off. And so I hope you all enjoy that for sure. Yikes. Yikes. So much to do. So much to yeah. do. One thing that you can do if you are visiting your family is, um, you know, tell them about this podcast and say, hey, you know, since you're not going to be on the road or even when you are in the road, maybe you could load up your uh, your playlist with back episodes of No Crying in Baseball. If you think that your friends and family would like to hear us talk about baseball, you should absolutely find us on social media. Yeah. So after you listen to all those episodes and want to talk to us about it, just drop us a line at NCIB podcast on Twitter or no crying in B-ball at Facebook, at Facebook, in Facebook, with, with Facebook. I don't know. Whatever you want to do with Facebook and I Instagram. Positions are hard. Yep. So many. <laughs> so many. <laughs> so many things. Oh, my gosh, my friends. <laughs> yeah. Hey, get boosted. We've both been boosted. And I'm, I'm, I'm feeling better all the time. Every second. I'm feeling better all the time. I'm going to be great. It tomorrow. gets better. Get your it only gets beat. better. It only gets better. Um, you know, have a great time this week on your days off. Fight the man. And until next week, say goodnight, potty mouth. Good night, potty mouth. You miss stories about smoky things and Santa hats?